This podcast is presented by the Prince George's County Memorial Library System. Hi, I'm Hawa. And I'm Darlene. And this is our podcast, These Books Made Me. Today we're diving into the other world with Neil Gaiman's Coraline. Friendly warning as always, this podcast contains spoilers. If you don't yet know who is trapped in a snow globe, proceed with caution. We have a special guest joining us today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Johnny Gordy. I'm a librarian at the Upper Marlboro Library. So was this everyone's first time reading? And if not, how did this reread compare to your memories of reading it when you were younger? So as always, this was my first time reading it. Um, but I'm actually really glad I got to read it. It was a really cute. Well, not it was a good story. It was a good story. I'll leave it at that for now. You'll get more of my feelings as we get into the discussion. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this was not my first time reading it, but I didn't read it during, I guess, the time that I would be like the target audience for this. I read it after the movie because I was really curious about it. So by that point, I, I was in college, maybe I was like starting college. So I don't think I had the mindset of like a child reading it. And I feel like I wish I did so that I would know how I would have responded to it as a child. But uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it when I read it and I enjoy it on reread as well. So this was also not my first time reading it. I read this book for the first time, like right after it came out. I think I was a senior in high school um, or maybe maybe like the summer between senior year and my first year of college. So I also wasn't reading it really as like a child, a true child at nine years old, I guess. And I reread it, you know, to prepare for today. And I mean, it totally holds up (laughs) and I love it so much. All right. So now we're going to get some author info from Johnny. Yes. Okay. so Neil Gaiman is one of my um, this probably shouldn't be part of the bio, but he's totally one of my favorite authors. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it must be noted. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Neil Gaiman is one of the most prolific authors of our time. His works span all genres and enchant readers of all ages. He is a huge advocate for public libraries, and he uses his platform to fervently express the importance of a library to a community. One of my like favorite quotes of his is he said, I wouldn't be who I am without libraries. I was the sort of kid who devoured books and my happiest times as a boy were when I persuaded my parents to drop me off in the local library on their way to work. And I spent the day there. I discovered that librarians actually want to help you. They taught me about interlibrary loans which I just love, (laughs) especially the interlibrary loans. Uh, He started his writing career as a journalist and was tapped to write the biographies of the 80s band Duran Duran and of the famous author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Douglas Adams. While these books were well-received, you know, he does mention in one of his interviews that he learned quickly in his early career that it was more important to him to write out of excitement and joy than for money. And so some of his early major success was found in his Sandman comics, which are incredibly popular and super awesome. The Sandman series, it was the first comic ever to actually receive the World Fantasy Award for Best Short Story and really any literary award ever, which is like completely nuts. His novella Coraline that we're discussing today won the Hugo Award for Best Novella and the Bram Stoker Award for Best Work for Young Readers, among many others. The majority of Gaiman's novels and stories have been adapted into television or movies, including Coraline. Many of his written biographies online are mainly a list of all his awards and commendations, which there are just so many. 
But one of the reasons why I love Neil Gaiman is when he writes his introductions to his books or when he gives his, like, describes his own biography, his autobiography, I guess. He tells it in stories about his childhood, the people who made an impact on his life, like public librarians, and why he chooses to write and tell stories like he does, which is why he's truly one of my favorite fairy tale writers and many others. So now Darlene is going to give us a little bit of a plot summary. All right, so Coraline follows the titular character through an adventure like no other. After moving into a new place with her parents, Coraline, with her sense of adventure and wonder, goes exploring, finding things to occupy her time while her parents are too busy to pay her much attention. She soon grows bored and eventually fixates on a door in her home that seemingly leads to nowhere. That night, however, she opens the door again and finds it leads to a world much like her own, with versions of adults from her own world with notable differences, such as the inhabitants having buttons for eyes. Her quote-unquote other mother offers Coraline the attention, mystery, and adventure she yearns for in her own world. But not everything is as good as it seems, and soon Coraline has to find the courage to save herself, her parents, and a few souls she's met along the way from an evil, conniving beldam who seeks to keep Coraline in the other world until she wastes away into nothing. Thank you so much for that plot summary, Darlene. All right, now let's get into a little bit of discussion. So my first question for y'all is, how do you think that this book held up? Was there anything in it that seemed like it was problematic that stood out to you? Or do you feel like uh, there were things in it that may have aged the book a little bit? I'll let y'all think on that for a little bit. Or just in general, how the story held up. (laughs) Yeah, I think this just goes back to when we were talking about when we first read it. I just wish that I was a child, like reading it again, or that I could have gone back in time and like read it as a child. Because I think that the age at which you read it really informs the reader. And I think he said in interviews before that like adults tell them how scary it is and how they're scared to like... Uh, give it to their kids because they don't know if it's maybe too spooky for them but that kids have gone up to him and said that it's like a wonderful like fantasy filled adventure and they like love it and yeah and I think he maybe was quoted as saying that he thinks it's because adults know the danger present in it in a way that like kids don't (laughs) and so yeah I mean I was like reading it and I was I'm just so like very aware of just how much danger Coraline is in (laughs) and I feel like I feel like for her she's like tackling everything like as it comes whereas you're like why are you there to begin with (laughs) so yeah I wish I wish I had read it as a child especially because like also as an adult you're conceptualizing like her bravery and like how it's coming about but like as a child, I don't know. It I just feel like, is. Yeah, it just <laughs> right. is, right? She just is brave in that moment. So, yeah. I feel the same way. I mean, I wish I had been nine, like Coraline, when I read the book for the first time. But it, what was something that I took from this book, rereading it, and when I read it the first time, was the relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. You know, throughout the book, like, she has the the other dad and... You know, but the dad in the story, like he's busy and he, you know, can't take a lot of time during the day. But the other instances that she mentions in the book of uh, him 
cooking for, you know, her family, these recipes that she calls them, (laughs) you know, but like that is like, you know, a sign of love to feed you is to love you. Like he makes time to spend with his family. She tells the story about, you know, being brave in the face of danger and the story of her dad and, you know, the wasps, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. But that was something that like I just noticed in the first time I read it and after where it was like, just the relationship that she had with her real parents, like, wasn't a bad one. You know, like, I think that was like a lot of when, you know, I would talk about it with other people, like throughout the years, it was like, oh, well, her parents were like, ne- like, negligent. And it was like, not really. It was summer and they were busy. That's literally like how yeah. every story <laughs> like starts, you know, yeah. it's like a bored kid that goes to try and find some adventure. So it definitely holds up. It like works on so many levels. Two things can be true. You know, the grass isn't always greener. I mean, there's just like all of these things that he just creates this world that is familiar, but like completely unique. It's just awesome. He's awesome. Yeah, I I can't I don't really have anything to add to that. I do think that it holds up very well. And there was nothing. And because I knew that we were going to ask this question, of course, in my mind, I'm always wondering, like, is there something that they maybe could have just not included in there that may have been seen as like possibly like problematic? But To me, there was nothing in the book like that that stood out to me, which is probably one of the few books that we've touched on that just was didn't have anything that somebody could probably pull out and be like, well, hmm, maybe you shouldn't have said that. So I think it overall holds up pretty well. Like you all said, I do kind of wish that I had taken this in when I was the target audience, because I feel like it. I feel like it would have been just such an inspiring story in a way. I know it may be weird to call it inspiring, but like hearing like a child protagonist that's your age talk about what makes them brave. It's just so amazing. So we can get into some of a little bit more of the discussion. I think since I'm already kind of talking about it, I think bravery is one of the first things that I wanted to touch on. But yeah, I don't know. Like, how do you guys feel about the way bravery was portrayed in this book? Especially like, you know, for the children who are reading this book or taking this in. Honestly, I think it's so straightforward and it's just amazing. Like she says at one point, I'm not scared. And then she's like, I'm not scared. She makes it a statement. She remembers times of like fear doesn't equal cowardice. It's facing fear that makes you brave. Being afraid isn't cowardly. And just doing something in the face of fear is bravery. And the story that she tells with her dad, you know, where they step on a wasp's nest and he tells her to run up the hill and run. And she does. She obeys him and runs up the hill and turns around. And her dad's been stung like 39 times. And he tells her, you know, it wasn't brave for me to to keep the wasps occupied because I knew that was the only thing I could do to keep you safe. What was really, you know... (laughs) brave of me was to go back later and get my glasses that fell off you know knowing that there was a hive of wasps down there and that story is kind of like what she uses to like motivate herself but she's so like practical about her bravery there's nothing else I can do this is just what has to be done to save my parents and you know to do the right thing right (laughs) yeah I think that's what struck me about it like several times like she you know, the cat would be like, why don't you just go away? And she would just be like, well, she has my parents. I cannot just leave. Right. So, yeah, it was very, like, practical of her to be brave in that moment. I don't know. I think that that's important to, like, have as a message in a children's book where they are already thinking about it that way. Because I think 
as you age, I feel like you just become more scared, right? Because yeah. you're so yes. aware you of, You learn like, so much more about the world and how the world is. Right. You have more things to be scared of. Whereas I feel like for her at this time, the scariest thing for her was not having her parents, right? right. So if if doing something to save her parents was scary for her, it still wasn't scarier than the idea of her not having them at all. Right, right exactly. And at the end, when she's like, it's her first day of school, so the summer ends, and she's like, <laughs> Oh, the first day of school, like, you know, usually I'm anxious about the first day of school, but there's nothing to be scared about. Like, yeah. there's other things, <laughs> like, bigger things to be scared about than the first day of school. And as a nine-year-old, I mean, like, being like, I don't have to be scared of the first day of school. I can just go and be myself and do my thing and have the best time. Well, yeah. how they slid that little life lesson in right? there for kids. Yeah. Like, right at the end. No, yeah, right? yeah awesome. I love that. Because yeah. I was like... Yeah, I think that's something that you don't, you recognize with like experience. And I think that that was such a nice and it wasn't like too on the nose or like too in your face way of saying yes. that the more you experience, the less scary things seem in comparison. So I really like that. And I, I think it really speaks to Neil Gaiman in general and mm -hmm. how he approached this book. There are a lot of like little life lessons there, but he's not hitting you over the head right. with it. It's kind of just like, yeah, these are things maybe you want to think about. And I think you kind of touched on this, Johnny. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. I think that's a really big one that could come off as a little moralizing. But I don't know. He does it in a way that just feels very natural. Right. Yeah. He doesn't say you better appreciate your parents yeah. or else. But he shows you, you know, to how to appreciate what you have in a way. Mm -hmm. One thing that stood out to me was that, uh, you know, when she sees the help us in the mirror and, you know, she's like, oh, I know what to do. And I'm thinking she knows immediately that she's going to go straight to the door. She's like, no, nah, I'm going to call the police. Right. <laughs> and then poor her, they didn't believe her. So, like, I think that, what do, how do y'all think that speaks to, like, about children and them not being listened to or being believed? Because, you know, he was just like, well, tell your parent your mom to make you some hot chocolate <laughs> and get rid of the nightmares. Yeah. So patronizing. I, I think that the way that he approached that was also really interesting because Coraline kind of doubles down and knows the experience that she had. Because yes. there's, yeah, there's a moment after she saves everyone <laughs> and her parents are like unaware. And it's funny the way that he phrases it, that they're just like missing, you know, they're just missing a couple of days in their lives. And that as adults, that's just the kind of thing that happens. Yeah. But yeah, and I don't know that she ever really doubts herself, but then she finds the little like stone in her pocket and the marbles and she's like, no, this happened. Yeah. Uh, so it was just kind <laughs> of like that quiet reassurance. She really went on about her life for a while. It was just like, OK, well, I'm hungry. Let me go to the supermarket and right. buy some limeade. Cause I <laughs> <laughs> well, that was like the other thing where, you know, again, as an adult reading it, we can kind of read between the lines. But he's also telling children Sometimes adults are not going to help you like yeah. how you mm -hmm. need at that moment. Like mm -hmm. she goes to Miss Mrs. Spink and Miss Forcible and says the same thing. She's like, my parents are missing. And they're like, OK, well, tell them that we're not going to be in tomorrow. We're right. like going <laughs> off to do stuff. And she's like, like I have this newspaper. She yeah, wanted or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and she's like, oh, well, like, I don't know where they are. And I've been in there just like, OK, like, have a great day, like whatever. And then she calls the police and it's sort of the same like. Like, okay, yeah, the the beldam with the scary fingers. Yeah. Like, and so it's like you're not always gonna be listened to, and you're gonna have to sometimes be self-reliant. And, and and I love that she didn't doubt herself. Exactly. Though. There was never a moment of doubting herself, which I feel like as a child reading this, yes. you know, you never know what a child that's reading this could go through. So it kind of kind of I think reinforces the idea of 
You may be going through something. You may be trying to tell people in your life that this is happening, but don't doubt yourself or don't doubt that yeah. this is what you're going through or the, or the seriousness of it if it's something that's important to you. Yeah. And that, like, that is just the best. Learning <laughs> as a kid that, like, you know, if you are speaking your truth to someone, and even if they're not listening, to not doubt yourself and to do what you need to do. Speak it louder if you need to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just really love reading children's books like how they shape people or like how they shape kids uh, while they're reading it but yeah i mean speaking back to how we were talking about how it doesn't condescend to kids i think one thing i remember flagging on my book was there was this part where miss forcible says i forgot what she said don't do and then she said or mention the scottish play oh, which is like right. a throwback don't, to like theater it's like speak. don't wear green in your dressing room or oh, something okay but is that what it was yeah <laughs> Um, And then like right after the like narrator, which sort of is kind of explaining Coraline's train of thought, but is not the first person narration. But it's like Coraline wondered why so few of the adults she had met made any sense. She sometimes (laughs) wondered who they thought they were talking to. I was like, that's such a funny line. It made me wonder. I'm like, yo, do kids that see me in their life wonder why I don't make sense? Like, <laughs> like who does she think she's talking to? <laughs> yeah. Well, so one of the best things, in my opinion, about Neil Gaiman is a, kind of how I mentioned, like, he pulls so many, like, familiar ideas and story elements that make you immediately comfortable reading the story So like the mirrors and the keys and the apple, there's all these things, but he, he just like creates a world that is very specific to that character. And then that character experiences a lot, but then just learns everything. But this book at the end, she returns the stone. Like if I had gone through what Coraline (laughs) went through. I would not be returning the stone, you know? (laughs) She's just like, oh, thanks. Like, I don't need it, you know? You never know what that stone could get you through later on in life. It's like, you know what's out there, and then you're just like, okay, I got through this thing, and, you know, now someone else could maybe, like, use this or something. Like, it was... So that it's like, he created this character, and she's kind of, you know, like, she's a fictional character, but then she's incredibly mature and just self-aware she grew up so much in that like what two days yeah it's just like like what nine-year-old is like okay i don't need this anymore like now that i've like done this but no yeah i think that you're right i was actually wondering if this counts as a coming of age story because i mean she's i actually couldn't uh tell what her age was but but you said that she's nine so it definitely does not say in the book that she is nine Mm -hmm. when i was reading some different things online just to get some background they Apparently, he was like, she's supposed to be around nine. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I think it reads very much coming of age. And especially, like, the. I, I think it's also the little, like, lessons that Neil Gaiman adds in yeah. it. Where it's like, <laughs> these are the things that you have to, like, figure out for yourself. Which, yeah, it's always nice to, like, have this character that maybe to everyone else doesn't seem like much. You know, that she would be so self-reliant and brave. But, yeah, in the end, she really gets that quiet self-assurance to the point that in the final pages of the book, she like corrects everyone on her name because everyone in the flat just keeps calling her Caroline. I was even calling her Caroline when I was reading it aloud. Yeah. <laughs> I got it right by the end of the book, though. How do you all feel that Coraline is uh, is as a role model for young girls or really any young children reading this book? 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I definitely think that she is a role model for young girls. And like to touch on the bravery thing again, I mean, obviously, she's brave, competent, self-reliant. She's confident in herself. She's practical, logical, you know, and she's also empathetic. Like she she won't leave the souls behind that are caught in the mirror. She won't leave the cat behind. I mean, the souls at one point, the two are like, okay, you have two of us. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) You know, and she's like, no. And she does really scary things like the other Miss Spink and Miss Forcible. They're in this like gross jelly cocoon together. And she has to like (laughs) stick her hand in and get one of the souls. It's like, that is like (laughs) terrifying imagery. But again, he doesn't write her as being afraid. It's again, it's just, I have to do this. This is what I have to do. But in the, just to touch on the bravery thing again, and something that I just, like I just thought of in the other world, when she meets her other dad in the basement, Mm -hmm. she actually encourages him to be brave. She's like, you can be brave. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I can't. Yeah, I flagged that too when I... I felt kind of sad. Yeah, when I put like Caroline as role model and I put like, yeah, she showed compassion for her other father, which she didn't have to. I mean, he was scary. And like, even if you knew that he was kind of doing other mother's bidding, I think she recognized that that's not something he really wanted to do and that he had no agency in it. Mm -hmm. And so... For her to, like, in that moment, that's really scary. Mm-hmm. For her to, like, still show compassion and empathy for him. I thought that was, like, really nice to include. Yeah, and just, I think you also touched on this before, Johnny, but just the fact that she's very straightforward about certain things. I think they were, who was it? I think the kids or the souls were saying that the other mother will, like, keep her forever. And she just says, no, she won't, period. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, love yeah, she that. knew yeah. she knew her goal, what what her goal was from the very beginning when it came to that. Yeah. But, you know, so what was the scariest part of this book for you all? Because, I mean, like, you know, it's always hard for me when people say, oh, my God, a book was scary. Like, right. Because how, how can you be scared if you know what's about? Well, you don't know what's about to happen. But like what felt scary to you? I'll let you guys go and then I'll share mine. <laughs> for me, the scariest part was the end with the hand. I mean, Mm. the hand is by far the scare, like trying to get the key and like, and she has like the dream picnic with the souls that she released from the mirror. And they're like, oh, wait, 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 it's not over. I mean, it's over for us, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and she's like, wait, what? You know, and then there's this like creepy hand. And of course, like all a ton of the imagery in the book is of the other mother's hands being these like long fingers tapping on the eyes yes (laughs) with the long red fingernails and them being like spidery and like gross and then imagining the hand just like running (laughs) (laughs) you know like it's just like ill and knowing that it's she knows that it's like around yeah you know like she can hear it a couple times i think yeah it kind of takes you back to that whole thing of like the unknown like you know it's there but you don't know what it's up to or what it's about to do or when it's gonna try to come at you so i feel like that's a good one yeah there was a lot of tension in that last part right it felt like more tension than the whole whole book book. there's like three pages like what's happening (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah i think i would agree that that was very scary but the first one that came to mind was when other mother locked her up in the mirror and it was like complete darkness and it was where she saw the souls i don't know why that oh, that's what i was so gonna say darlene <laughs> yeah. it just yeah. seems so scary to me to like think that 
someone would just keep you in the dark forever. And then you have all these souls that are basically telling you what happened to them. And how it's long like, they've been there? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're going to lose your memories. But, like, your name will go first. And, like, um, yeah, she just kind of, like, dotes on you. But then she's basically taking your energy. And then she just leaves you here to, like, waste away. And, and like, Coraline's like, when is she going to let me out? Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, she might not. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you mentioned the same thing that I was going to mention about the closet being the scariest part to me, just because it's like, first of all, you, you locked in the closet and then you realize there are other people in here and then you realize how long they've been in there. You mentioned that they said that their names were the, one of the first things to go. And I think the names in this book are kind of like important in a way. We know that she doesn't learn the quote unquote crazy old man's name until the very end. <laughs> They're all always messing up her name in her world, but in the other world, they get it right. Mm-hmm. And then Johnny, I know we talked about it before we started recording, but like about the, what was it? The cat saying that uh, the cat, you know, names aren't important to us because we know who we yeah. are. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's funny because as we were talking about that, I was thinking, oh, what's in a name? And then later on in the book, they say, what's in a name? Like, and I'm like, oh, okay. Spoke that into existence. Right. <laughs> yeah, the way that he says that is actually kind of funny. I don't know, like funny and like a little poetic too. It's like, now you people have names. That's because you don't know who you are. We know who we are. So we don't need names. Thank you for the quote. Yeah. <laughs> I, was I, was like, I was like trying to like quietly flip through. <laughs> Yes. No, that's a good one. And it's funny because she's like, so what if I want to call you for dinner? And he's like, just say dinner. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny, like, so my name being Johnny and being spelled J-O-N-I, I mean, it's like, I, my name is never said correctly the first time. So I get like her kind of frustration about that. But then again, reading this book and being like, your name, your name doesn't like, Yes, it identifies you from others, but it's not your identity. Mm. You know, like these other things that we've described about her, that's like, that's your identity. You're brave, you're competent, you're smart, you're kind, you're empathetic. That was kind of like one of the main things, especially for me, who Mm -hmm. I like when I was little, I'd be like, oh, Johnny's my first name. Joni is my second name. Yeah. Because I just was (laughs) called Joni all the time. And it just Mm -hmm. was like, I'm not even, I can't even correct anymore. Like I'm, it's just a never-ending job Mm -hmm. and so being like it doesn't matter what someone really calls you and ultimately it's who you are Mm -hmm. like who are you and so again as it like if i was just like you said like wish i was nine to be (laughs) like you know just because someone's not saying my name right it doesn't diminish who i am Mm -hmm. and i like that they made that point but she still was correcting people throughout the book. I like that it wasn't like, oh, you can just let people call you whatever. It's like, oh, no, that doesn't make you who you are, but you can still say, this is who, this is me, you know? Yes, exactly. I love it. Yeah, and I do like that the book constantly reinforces uh, that she is who she is, Mm -hmm. despite all the things that make her kind of feel like she's walking on uneven ground. And part of that is like when they mispronounce her name, but then... It was like even when she was in the other house where she woke up and she was in her other room and it said that she felt like dislocated Mm -hmm. and that she wasn't entirely sure who she was and oftentimes like form your identity by like all the things around you and when they aren't there, when they aren't these like markers that, Mm -hmm. you know, you do feel a little like uneven and unsure 
but she still regains kind of that bravery that propels her to still look for her parents and like get out. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I just love Coraline. So much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess to like go back to the main question, it's like, yeah, I think she's actually a really inspiring character for yeah. kids to kind of just see everything that she goes through <laughs> and kind of find a lot of meaning in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Johnny, I know one of the things that you mentioned that you liked about the book was that you felt like Neil Gaiman is just kind of like the modern fairy tale, like modern grim of our time. If you wanted to tell us a little bit more about that, because I feel like, you know, you seem really passionate about it. I do. I just love <laughs> I love Neil Gaiman too so much. So my dad was in the Navy. I was a Navy brat mm-hmm. and I grew up for a short span of time in England. And so a lot of Neil Gaiman's works being set in England and then like the other fairy tale authors I think of as European, obviously, you know, like Hans Christian Andersen, the Brothers Grimm, Roald Dahl, J.R. Tolkien. But Neil Gaiman, he really does. He pulls from all of these just amazing stories. So like this time reading it, I really focused on the food aspect. Mm. You know, she talks about the recipes <laughs> and the dad and like whatever. But then she realizes, like, in the other world that, you know, the food, what she was being fed was causing her not to see clearly. Wait, what? So I didn't catch that. (laughs) That's why I love talking about this book with y'all, because y'all helped me catch things I didn't catch. And so when she goes, when she goes back and they're like, well, you'll be back, you'll be back. And then when she goes back, she brings those apples with her. Oh, so she doesn't have to eat their food. So she doesn't have to eat their food. So here's the fairy tale apple. I mean, you know, like it's again, all these like familiar things, but in a completely unique way. The black cat being vermin. You know, when in a lot of stories, the black cat is, you know, this kind of symbol of darkness and evil. And Mm -hmm. here's the cat who's actually her savior towards the end. He is the one that gets the rat with the key. Yeah. You know, and so he flip flops a lot of these norms. And it's like nothing is evil or good. Like there's no true good or bad with things like that. Yeah. You know, like. Cats. (laughs) Apples. Bread. I mean, I don't know. It's just. He's just able to create a familiar world using others. I hate to say that because that kind of makes him seem like a plagiarist. As I'm like, he takes from others. But I was going to say, like, he borrows from like a long line of work. And I think that that's intentional because I think that he knows who his audience is. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he knows probably that they're going to start reading all of these books. They're going to read, you know, like Alice in Wonderland and doll books and probably Narnia books. And so I feel like he's borrowing from like elements from all of these so that nothing in his book feels unfamiliar. Right. And so there's no like disorientation kind of with that, you know, when you read Coraline, because I feel like everything else, you've seen it somewhere else. Right. Even if, like, you're not consciously thinking that you did. Mm -hmm. So borrowing or kind of using it to his advantage to kind of place the reader where he wants the reader to be. Yeah, I feel like there are elements that you're just familiar with from being in different, like, fairy tales or stories like this. But he, like, makes them his own in that way. It's so funny because I kept thinking that the black cat was going to, like, turn against her. Right. Like, I was waiting for it. And then it didn't happen. And he ended up, like, saving the day, which was great. The best. <laughs> and then she uses she uses him, too. Like, she, she, at the end, he gets the key. But in the when she's in the other world and he gets scared, she picks him up and the cat is trembling because 
you know, the house has fallen flat and there are no more exits, like secret exits for the cat. And the cat's like, we're done for. And she's like, no, it's fine. And picks them, you know, picks the cat up. And granted, she uses the cat to, like, totally throw in the other mother's face. And she apologized <laughs> later. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, sorry. I mean, we weren't all going to get out. But, like, you know, he is. He is, like, he's the savior sort of twice in a way, even though Coraline, you know, is ultimately the true hero of the book, obviously. One thing that I thought was interesting that I, I don't know if I fully, like, processed in my head was the, the whole replacing the eyes as buttons things like what is the other mother exactly yeah like i don't know what kind of creature are they i guess i don't know (laughs) so the souls i think so when we were talking prior and we were sort of like the other mother is all of a sudden called the beldum (laughs) um and that i think started behind the mirror and what's funny so i looked up the word beldum that's literally what i was about to do And it's funny it is it's like an old english word bell Mm -hmm. for beautiful and then dumb damn for like damsel of like woman but you would think so beautiful woman but then it actually is like grandmother which then has been kind of morphed into a witch and that's interesting in itself because again when she goes she's like oh she like the other mother looks like my mother like she sees a beauty in mm -hmm. and then as it progresses it's like Okay, no. Yeah, like by the end, she's like, how did I ever think that this woman looked like my mother? Like, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I did the same thing. And I remember like the very short definition is an old woman. Mm -hmm. And then it was like a malicious and ugly woman, especially an old one, a witch. Yeah. So... Especially yeah, an very, old yeah. one. <laughs> Especially an old one. Which makes one. you wonder how old she actually is because if you think about, like, you know, she had those children that were in the closets. Like, how long had they been there? Like, what is the concept of time on this other side of the house? Right. Am I overthinking it? Possibly. But, you know. Well, so <laughs> there's a part where she's talking to the cat and and she asks, like, she's like, how did she find this? Or, like, how did she create, like, kind of what's the backstory? And he's like, I don't know. Like, she found it, created it. Who cares? It's here and we have to deal with it. So, you know, (laughs) it's kind of funny, too, because it's like instead of wondering why and like trying to figure it's like, let's be in the moment and get past what we need to get past, too, which is kind of a weird thought as well, (laughs) because I would definitely want to be like, so what's going on? Yeah. Who is this (laughs) and why? Yeah, and even in the end, they don't explain it. <laughs> right. And it's like, because I can only assume that she's attached to the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Because it's like, even, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but like, you know, when you go too far out from the house, like she doesn't create a world further out than she probably thinks that people would go. Right. But then it, it's like it's circled back to the house at the end of it all. So it's just like. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I guess she's. Yeah. So I, that's the only thing I can think is like she's attached to the house because it used to be like an old mansion or whatever. And I'm assuming that's where maybe the two. But then there's the I mean, the fairy ghost. I mean, it's just like, what? Yeah. Where did you come from? Are you attached to the house? <laughs> yeah, there was so many like fantastical things in this book that yeah. he kind of just brings up, but then does not explain, which to me was kind of frustrating. I don't know. Again, I, I keep going back to like how I would have read it as a child. But yeah, as an adult, I'm just like, I don't get like. So one of the souls was described as like having wings. Mm-hmm. So when they're having this like little picnic before they 
crossover, Coraline notes that one of the souls has wings and that there's something on her looks like spider webs. Was that the pale one? hmm? Was that the pale one? Yes. Uh And that there's like silver in her blonde hair and that, you know, at this picnic, they're all eating their favorite meals. And for her, it's like a plate of flowers. Yeah. And that's just like all it says. It does not explain it further. I had this like whole moment (laughs) with like my coworker where I was like, I don't get it. I was like, I don't get why he would bring up this sort of mystical or magical child. And then we were like trying to figure out in the movie, she's not even this at all. I think she's a kid that wanted to be a ballerina or something. Mm -hmm. So it explains it differently. But it's just, yeah, one of those things that he just kind of lays there, but he doesn't really fully explain. It's like, yeah, this is just... She was some sort of weird mystically creature, or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, I was mystically a word. I was going to say, like, I was reading it. I was like, is there supposed to be, like, a part two to this or something? <laughs> or, like, maybe because I was reading it, like, super fast, I missed something. But no, Johnny, go ahead. <laughs> well, so I feel like that's one of the best things about Neil Gaiman is it's just like, again, it's matter of fact. It's like fairies exist. Yeah. Boom, <laughs> done. Fairies exist. You know? And it's like, oh, I love that. <laughs> because things are matter of fact, you almost kind of start to believe Mm. And again, like you said, as a nine-year-old, and then that being that matter of fact, it just is. It's like, that is so magical. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much whatever he didn't wrap up, it just is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I feel like more more things should sometimes end that way. Like, it just is. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. That's true. I think a lot of fantasy writers sometimes do fall into this hole of, like, trying really hard to over-explain things, and then it it gets to be too complicated and convoluted, Uh and then people do lose interest. So I guess I kind of understand. And, you know, it is a really short book. Um, You can get through it pretty quickly. So... Because I finished finished reading right before we started recording, as usual. (laughs) That's how you keep the the information fresh in your head. No, yeah, no. I agree. (laughs) I just wanted to, like, touch on, you know, Neil Gaiman does take influences from other books. But the main stories I feel like he takes from children are the central heroes mm. like Alice in Wonderland, the Chronicles of Narnia, Hansel and Gretel. I mean, it's like all these kind of children that are their own heroes. And I love that. I feel like that, you know, he recognized reading as a child. These things inspired me. These things kind of put me on the path that I am now. And I can like return the favor to today's children. Mm. I even feel inspired and I'm far from being nine so (laughs) so i definitely i definitely see that yeah and honestly this story was i before i went in all i really knew about Coraline was the movie and i hadn't even seen it so i expected the story to be so much like i thought it was going to be one of those things where i was going to be reading and i have to read the page over and over to understand what was going on but it was it was done really well i think in a way that didn't feel like it was being over explained it just it just was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that speaks a lot to how Neil Gaiman writes and what I really appreciate in his writing, because it could be very matter of fact. Like, I love the little parts that he sprinkles in to kind of give you a sense of Coraline's personality. 
like there was one where it was just describing her boredom and it's like she counted everything blue and then in parentheses it's 153 and <laughs> she counted the windows 21 and i don't know i just thought that was like a really fun little detail but like it gave you a sense of who Coraline is and then also like a tangent it, it kind of reminded me of of that like little debate that people were having are there more doors or wheels in the world <laughs> <laughs> No, when she was doing it, I was like, yo, this kind of sounds like a fun game. I'm not going to like, it sounds very mindless to give to a child, but like, it sounds kind of fun. Like maybe if she was doing it with somebody else, she wouldn't have been as bored. Yeah. But yeah. And I think also the fact that he wrote it both tapping into his own childhood, but then writing it for his daughters, I think yes. was the really interesting sort of line to be between because it was just, I don't know, it's just, just like little things that I thought were funny. When she's home alone because her parents have been taken by the other mother and she hasn't really figured that out quite yet. And she's like typing on her dad's typewriter and her story. I can't remember how it goes, but it's like, oh, and then she danced and danced uh, until her feet turned to like sausages. Or something. <laughs> but then yeah. the way that it's spelled sausages. <laughs> I was, I was trying to figure out what that was supposed to say. I was like, okay, this says supposed to say turn, but I'm like, what is it supposed to say? Yeah. Um, but yeah, just those little things that like reminds you like the protagonist is a child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's like towing the line definitely between an adult, like a father kind of writing this and, you know, kind of writing it from the perspective of his own childhood experiences. Because yes, uh, like Hawa said, he faced the flat on where he grew up when he was a child and again like johnny said was borrowing from probably a lot of his own like the books that he read as a child as well but then they're just like little things that it's like yeah dad wrote this yeah. <laughs> like when it's like oh yeah you have to appreciate what you have yeah like her parents are busy but you know they they do love her and it's yeah. like, you know please recognize that just because a dad may be busy does not mean that you know he doesn't love you right or like the grass isn't always greener and yes you may want adventure but sometimes the mundane is just as interesting like we have to find interesting in the mundane and the way that he wrote that at the end when she goes back to her own world and it's like the sky has never been so sky right. and the world <laughs> has never been so world yeah. <laughs> so yeah just like sprinkling in those little like I, I don't know like life advice yes or... and even when you know when her dad she called she called her her dad's recipes which is so funny to me she's like i know you just used a recipe and i'm uh, like yeah. how else is he supposed to cook <laughs> but at the end you know she she eats the recipe even though she doesn't yeah. like it it's pizza but she she's like yeah but you know i picked out the pineapples or something <laughs> like that which i think in a way is like you may not i feel like it's a lesson in a way and i'm still trying to figure out exactly how to word it but you know with life, you may not like all of it, but you take what you get, and then, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I think yeah. it was symbolic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know also, it was just pizza, but I think it was symbolic. Pizza. Right. <laughs> and also, pineapples on pizza, controversial topic. Yeah. <laughs> Question mark. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say I like them. <laughs> it, like, it has to be with other things. It can't just be by themselves. Yeah, that's true. Try. That's true. That's true. I mean, the other big thing, and especially, like, definitely a dadism, you know, it's like, you're also... It, getting everything you want, you know, as kids, it's just like, I want what I want and I want it now, you know? And it's like recognizing it's like, if you like getting everything you want doesn't 
really mean anything. Like mm-hmm. none of the, then the things that you get don't mean anything because you just get whatever you want. Especially if you know you're going to get everything you want. Exactly. And I think that, I think Coraline kind of touches on that. She's basically like, well, what fun is getting everything I want if I know I'm going to get everything I want? Right. Like it, it's almost like there's no, I mean, not to say that it's good to be disappointed sometimes, but it's just like, if you know you're always going to get what you want, it's just, eh. And getting everything you want from your parents doesn't equate to love. Yes, because clearly the other mother was claimed she loved her because she was giving her all these. She's like, yeah, we can have all this fun and da 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 da. But sometimes it's okay to just not. <laughs> and Coraline like finds her strength like thinking about her parents. She thinks about you know the time her mom was like helping her learn to ride a bike and she fell but got back up. I mean, it's like she recognizes her parents can't physically help her in the moment but then she does go back and like these are things that will help me moving forward as you know like you said coming of age is like as an adult and moving into teen year and all these things it's like parents do you know they teach us things that we don't always think about until we have to <laughs> you know and so i like that too it gave them it gave them more of a personality than you would expect them to have had in the beginning exactly yeah because they were just like hey, go away go away and then by the end you come to appreciate those little you know and then he at the end he picks her up and yes. hugs her like so mm. hard like he hadn't hugged her since she was little and it's funny because it's just like you know Coraline expresses that she doesn't think that they know that they've been gone away for so long but that hug that he gave her made it seem like in a subconscious kind of way he felt like he was missing her yeah mm-hmm. which is just the sweetest yeah <laughs> I love this book I'm so glad we read it yeah. now I'm gonna go run and watch the movie <laughs> I will say that from one of his interviews he did say that one of the reasons why he likes to write things that are a bit more scary is where there are monsters, there are miracles. And I, I think that that was like really sweet because I was like, yeah, in Coraline, I feel like she didn't really, really appreciate what she had until she recognized that it could possibly all be taken away from her. And then also like even just the way that maybe as a child, she wasn't really thinking about love or the differences in love. Mm-hmm. And then after this, kind of came to a conclusion that there was sort of like different types of love and that it was her parent, like her actual parents love that she was striving to, I guess, protect versus like the other mother who I think she said, you know, I I do believe she loves me, but only in so far as what she can get from me as a possession. Yeah. And so then as soon as I'm, I've wasted away like these other souls, like I'm no one to her. So, right. I don't know. Yeah, that was very profound. Yes, <laughs> very profound. Very I mean, much. Neil Gaiman is like incredibly quotable too, as you know, and he always puts like really good quotes from other authors, usually in the beginning of his book. Like the version of Coraline that I have, it's fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Mm. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Every, yeah. every child needs to like hear that, you know, that same thing. It's just like there are going to be hard things that happen to you, but you can get through them. And sometimes you have to get through them on your own. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. In a, in a children's book, you know, you get all of that. And as a child reading, you know, yes, we can't say that, like, you know, we read it at nine. But at the same time, all of that is subliminal to children. You know, we read it and then can get back to it later when we need it. And it's just the best. And it is what it is. No, I keep saying that. I keep saying that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Yeah, you're right. He's very quotable. Because honestly, like, then I started to get into it. wasn't even about Coraline anymore. It's just interviews about him talking about writing mm-hmm. in general. <laughs> because, you know, people really appreciate his writing. And I, I don't think he originated it, but he it's something that I think he keeps in mind when he's writing. And I think it's like one of the central tools of literature is using the lie of a made-up story to tell a human truth. Yeah. So obviously, like, he has these very specific topics and themes and like lessons that he wants Mm -hmm. i guess to instill especially because this was made for his daughters but kind of using this like fictional world to kind of tell that truth and i think borrowing aspects from his own childhood and probably his experiences as a parent as well those are the little things that really inform and kind of pad this book a little bit more so that it has a bit more substance than just you know this made-up story right and just to mention too about like uh, Darlene mentioned about the other mother loving her as a possession, as loving Coraline as a possession. And then with the button eyes thinking like we're dolls, like we're not even like people, mm. you know, like everyone in here is a possession. The other father is, you know, the rats are the rats do her bidding. You know, it was like everybody was her possession. Like, I was regardless, about the other father. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so it's just it's just a really good story. Each episode, we are heading into the library and talking to you. Well, not you, but people like you right here in the stacks. Today, we want to know about something they had to be brave about as a child. What did you have to be brave about when you were a little kid? Talking to strangers. Sleeping in the dark. Um, when I was a child, I used to go to my babysitter's house. He had like three pit bulls, and I was afraid of dogs. And I used to have to go through this gate to get to her house. And dogs used to be loose in the backyard, and I had to run from them every day. I was afraid of dogs then, but I learned to conquer that fear as I got older. Because dogs really are your best friend when you really think about it. Um, I was brave by holding a little baby alligator at the zoo. Walking on ice. Lightning. Earthworms. Because when I used to go to elementary school, my sister told me that when it rains, earthworms fall from the sky. So, <laughs> so that's why. <laughs> when, I was, uh, when I was a kid, I was always scared of the dark. And my dad used to always make me take out the trash. And it was hard to go back in the back of the house. So I used to take the trash and run as fast as I can. Just throw it in the backyard and burn my way back. Uh, something I had to be brave about when I was a kid was I was learning to ride bike and I was always afraid of falling down. Something I had to be brave about was having surgery. <laughs> I had to have my spleen out because my blood thought it, my spleen thought my blood was a disease. All right, so now we're going to head into our game segment. And for this game segment, we're going to do a BuzzFeed quiz, as we're known to do. (laughs) And this one is called, We Know Which Coraline Character You Are Based on How You Spend a Fall Day. So now we'll see. Does BuzzFeed know what Coraline character we are? All right. So the first one is Pick a Fall Treat. And you have a ghost latte. So basically a latte with foam art to look like a ghost. A fall feast with what looks like sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie, apple crumble, and ginger snaps. I'm very torn on this one because 
I last year one of my neighbors moved in and she gave us like a big old box of huge apples and I looked up desserts to make with apples and I made some apple crumble and it came out kind of good. But I think ginger snaps are something that I'd be more likely to to eat. So I'm gonna go with ginger snaps. I've also got to go with ginger snaps. They're just so delightful. Yeah. Now I kind of want some. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know which one I'd pick. I do love a good latte. I don't the ghost know that, is so cute. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that I've ever had it with any latte art. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with ghost latte, or I'll go with ghost latte. All right, next one is, what outdoor activity will you do? Is it a bonfire, hike, scary corn maze, or apple picking? You know... I know which one I'm not doing, and it's hiking, because that sounds, uh, <laughs> that sounds very uh, tedious. Um, I'm torn, because all the other three options sound really cool. I've only ever done a bonfire, but also a scary corn maze or apple picking sounds fun. So, hmm, if I'm spending uh, a fall day, I guess I'm going to go with bonfire, since that's what I've actually done before. But apple picking sounds fun, too. It's close second. Um, you know, I'm going to have to go for the tedious hike, you know, (laughs) you know, my husband and I love hiking. It's like a pastime of ours. So I got to go with the hike. Look how beautiful the sun through the trees. I might have to take some tips from you before I give that a try. (laughs) Yeah. These all seem like fun. Oh my God. Just going to be really indecisive. This whole quiz. It's either Mm, That's how you know it's a good one. Yeah. It's either bonfire or scary corn maze though. I think, I think I'll go with the scary corn maze. So the next question is, after pumpkin picking, what will you carve into it? So first one is a scary face, creepy spiders, a happy face, or a smoky face, uh, which I guess you would just put like smoke in the jack-o'-lantern, not the smoke come out um, menacingly. (laughs) I'm very torn because like, Spiders, you know, classic Halloween stuff. Also, think of Spider Man. But I think I'm gonna go with the smoky face because this smoky face looks kind of fire. Like, yeah, it does look really cool. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, this is this one is hard for me. I feel like my jack o' lanterns are always between a scary face and a happy face. So it's, like, <laughs> it's whatever I'm feeling in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I'll go with scary face. Yeah, I think I'll go the opposite and do happy face. Next question, what costume would you pick? A witch, a face mask, a fairy princess, or an animal? That animal looks really I'm scary. Gonna go with fairy. No, it is really scary. <laughs> it's like the Donnie Darko rabbit. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what? I'm going to go with fairy princess. And I was also trying to figure out what I'm going to be for Halloween this year, and that might be a contender. So thanks, BuzzFeed. <laughs> Um, I, I gotta go, I guess I'll, I would probably, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I guess I would be an animal. I think I'm going to go with witch. <laughs> what indoor activity would you like to do? Fall baking, fall decorating, being cozy, or taking fall pictures? Okay, I just want to say that. Why are you taking fall photos inside? <laughs> I feel like fall photos would be more so taken outside because of all the leaves. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. It's such a hilarious indoor activity. Yeah, like, like I'm gonna go with fall baking. I'm not great at baking, but I like baking. Yeah, same. Being cozy. How is that even an activity? Sorry. I'm going with the activity. 
baby. Cozy. <laughs> I gotta go with fall baking too, honestly. Yeah, I think three for three. I'm yeah. doing fall baking. Because all the other options suck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so this is the last one, but I'm kind of curious, like, who would you just not want to get on this quiz? The other mother. Other mother. Okay, <laughs> it's funny. I have to say the other father would be my, like, least wanted character. Okay. Because, like, you expect the other mother to be, like, bad, but mm-hmm. there was always this little bit of sympathy for the other father. Yeah. But then at the end, he's like, I can't be brave, and I'm going to, like, try to eat you in my worm form or whatever. So I think he's the worst. He's the worst. Johnny take. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So the last one is lastly, pick a fall outfit vibe. So the first one is simple and it's someone in a like orange and black striped shirt and overalls like denim overalls. Then there's comfy. So someone holding like three chunky sweaters. Quirky. Uh, I guess plaid pants are quirky. (laughs) 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 And last one is eye-catching. So someone with like a jacket that's like bright red. I'm going to go with comfy because around fall time, it starts to get real cold, in Mm -hmm. my opinion, depending on when it is. And I just want to be comfy for real. Also, like as a librarian, I love a good cardigan. (laughs) I got one on the back of my chair right now. So comfy (laughs) for me. Also, eye-catching, she looks cute and all, but she don't look like she's dressed for fall. Yeah, no, it's like a little like crop top. And yeah, no. (laughs) No, I mean, I love a good crop top. Sorry, I just meant like... (laughs) No, I also love a good crop top. <laughs> but this is the like, skirt. Yeah, as it's getting cold, I'm like, yeah, that's when I retire my crop. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I gotta go with comfy, too. I like a nice, like, comfy sweater. Just being comfy in the fall, for sure. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go for comfy as well. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Darlene, you gotta go first. I know. Oh, no. oh, God, okay. Uh, so I got other mother. Um, <laughs> but not the worst. See, the other father would have been the worst. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I just, my my line of sight kind of like read the first line and yeah, I was read like, it out okay. To us. Read it out to it us. It said you can be a bit manipulative toward other people in an attempt for them to like you. Try to be a little more open-minded and learn to let things go. How did they get that from the I questions know. they asked us? They didn't, they didn't ask anything about what oh would you do goodness. in this scenario, but they got that response. Oh it was no. the ghost latte. It had to be the ghost latte. <laughs> I was like, I put happy faces on my pumpkins. <laughs> what do you mean I'm other mother? That's how um, you draw them it's in. It's a Rusia. Yeah. yeah, you're right. <laughs> Um, so I got the cat. Um, oh, that's a great one. Yeah, you've been described as quiet and observant. You don't jump at every opportunity, but when your friends need you, you're always there. You're protective and have good morals. We need more people like you out there. Thanks, Bud- BuzzFeed. Oh, that's, oh, nice. that's I so love nice. that. So I guess these characters might be based off the movie because I got YB. Is that uh, one of the souls? No, he's a new character that they put in the movie. (laughs) I'm going to read what it says I am anyway. Just my luck, I will get the character that's not even in the book. You're adventurous and loyal. You're always around at the right time, either to offer a friend some good advice or to save them from harm. You may not always feel appreciated, but don't worry. You're important to many people. Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, that's though. awesome. I feel and seen. Actually, YB is like almost like a self-insert of Coraline herself mm-hmm. because 
basically in the book, you get a lot of her thought process about things and as she's like going through it. Mm -hmm. And so for the movie, I think obviously they needed to expand it because this is a pretty short book. Yeah. And so to kind of externalize all of those thoughts going in her mind, Mm -hmm. they created that character, you know, a sort of exposition like, oh, you know, that house that you're in, (laughs) it has a lot of lore behind it, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Thank you, darling. Shout out to darling for making me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) But it is funny that they add, like, they didn't make that character a girl, Mm -hmm. that they made her friend a boy, which, eh. Had to balance that out for the movie, I guess. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's true, because most of the stronger characters in this book are all female characters, which we'll get into in a bit. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about it in terms of why they would make YB a boy. Mm -hmm. Each episode, we ask whether our book passes the Bechdel test. The Bechdel test asks whether a work features two female characters who talk to each other about something that doesn't involve men or boys. Does it pass? Absolutely. Yes, resounding yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's like no romance whatsoever Zero. in this book. Right. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's also like her age, but and the fact that she's not with anyone else her age and it is kind of like a solo adventure for the most mm-hmm. part. Yeah. Uh yeah, there's really no opportunity for her to talk about boys or romantic interests or anything of that sort. It's just her trying to survive. Yeah, yeah, like the only other guy that she's really talking to anybody about is when she's talking to other mother and she's like, where are my parents? So it's not like mm-hmm. it's just, where's my dad? It's where's right. my parents? Like, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of These Books Made Me. Join us next time when we'll discuss a book about a girl who has a cook who is a fairy godmother. If you think you know which book we're tackling next, drop us a tweet. We're at PGCMLS on Twitter and hashtag These Books Made Me. You can also send us your questions at thesebooksmademe at pgcmls.info. For historical deep dives and read-alikes, check out our blog, which is linked in the episode notes. <laughs>